One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. The Supreme Court issued a temporary decision on the president's travel ban. And y'all blew us away with your feedback on health care. This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Welcome to another episode of Pantsuit Politics. This is our special Friday episode where we try to keep it short, hence calling it the briefcase. We're going to cover a few pieces of news and the amazing feedback we got from our Tuesday episode on healthcare reform. We also want to encourage everybody to go to our Patreon page. It's where you can support Pantsuit Politics. We're trying to reach a $3,000 monthly support level that helps us get Pantsuit Politics and the Black Paces back for all the expenses we've had so far over time. And helps us keep going and expanding. And we really need your support. We're so close. We're like $700 off from reaching our goal. You can open up all kinds of extra content from a extra email where Beth and I share some stuff we're reading, articles we think are really great, to an entire episode extra a month of Pantsuit Politics. At the $25 level, you gain access to the entire Primer catalog and you get a free t-shirt. 
And today we just completed a Q&A with um, our $50 subscriber level. So we do a once a month Q&A with those people. So it's there's a lot of options. Um, and if you can't support Pantsuit Politics financially, which we totally understand, we'd love it if you'd open up the Apple Podcast app and give us a review. Earlier this week, the Supreme Court issued a temporary decision on the president's travel ban, which you've probably heard in the news by now. I think that the thing to say about this is that it's being spun as a crushing defeat or a dramatic victory for the Trump administration, and I view it as neither. It is a good representation of how the judicial system almost always produces no winners because Mm -hmm. the court really took a path toward crafting something that it felt balanced national security interest with the constitutional interests at stake in the case. And so as to the plaintiffs who said that the travel ban was unconstitutional for them, the court said, possibly. And so we're going to prevent the travel order being enforced as to you, which you would think would be a win for the plaintiffs where the Trump administration is claiming a victory is that the court said that with respect to people who do not have any genuine connection to the United States, the travel ban can be enforced. And that is true about both immigrants and refugees. So it's kind of a decision in the middle. If you have family members or a job offer or an offer to come to school in the United States, uh, the travel ban does not apply. And if you have no connection, it does. And of course, now we'll probably spend months arguing about what constitutes a bona fide connection to the United States. Yeah, I thought this was a really bad decision. <laughs> I mean, I, I think the nine zero is great. I, I see what needle they were trying to thread here. But you just created a standard that then we're going to need to turn around and go to court to figure out what it means. Like, I don't understand the bona fide relationship thing. At all. I think this is maybe not to sound like Scalia here, but like compromises make bad law. Like, I don't I don't understand what they were thinking. Like, you're just creating something else for us to argue about. Like, what's a bona fide relationship? Who can determine a bona fide relationship? Like I heard on NPR, they were saying, well, if you've booked a hotel room, is that a bona fide relationship? Because it can be with an entity and you now have a relationship with that hotel. And are there going to be like people, you know, the the um, immigration officers at the airport trying to figure this out and piecing apart that I don't, I don't know. It sounds like a hot mess to me. I don't really get what they were thinking. That's a great question. To what extent does any kind of contractual relationship count? That's yeah, a really it's good an question. Entity, right. I mean, that's what they, I don't, I don't understand. Like you, I, I just feel like, look, the people that sit on the Supreme court are smarter than me. Like I get that, but I really don't know what they were thinking here. It just seems like all they did was open a giant bona fide can of worms. It's such an interesting time to watch the Supreme court because they're getting all these cases that are really political question cases. Mm -hmm. And I think they're going to take them possibly because the political branches don't seem to be functioning very well. But I was thinking a lot about the gerrymandering case. And I know eventually we want to spend quite a bit of time with gerrymandering and I'm wondering how the court does anything that ultimately makes sense from a legal perspective. Because once you go down the road of, of gerrymandering at all from a legal perspective, 
I started thinking about how isn't the electoral college like the ultimate in gerrymandering Mm -hmm. and how can the court produce any sort of reasoning that doesn't just go step after step after step into what are truly political questions that should be decided by elected bodies. I think this decision gives a lot of ammunition, unfortunately, to people who think that the court is just legislating from the bench. And that's unfortunate. It would have made more sense to me for them to decide either to maintain the stay wholly or lift the stay wholly until the case can be decided on its merits. Yeah, I think this, like I said, this threading the needle thing was a bad call. And to your political question point, I would definitely recommend More Perfect, which was um, a WNYC podcast on the Supreme Court that we'll link to. And they talk about the decision that I think had to do with how districts were drawn that ultimately um, decided this sort of sort of push the Supreme Court into this political question territory. It's really interesting. So we'll definitely share that in the show notes. It's the same thing with campaign finance issues, right? Like the court has truly made campaign finance law in ways Mm -hmm. that have become very problematic. So yeah. speaking of deviating from where you think an institution is going to be, the Senate has delayed its vote on the health care law that Mitch McConnell swore was going to come to the floor before the July recess. So I... um a little surprised that Mitch McConnell had to play the Paul Ryan and delay the vote. I do not think if this is a plan to hope that people in the media lose interest, I do not think that's going to happen. I think that the president is not doing any Mitch McConnell favors with regards to whipping votes and talking about it and creating press about it. I, I, I don't, I don't see how he gets there. I don't ever, 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 count Mitch McConnell out or try. And I try desperately not to underestimate him, but I mean, it's just, you have two factions saying, I'm not going to go anywhere near this with totally different demands. So I don't know. There are two things that I think are going to be really interesting to watch. Thing number one is that today we're recording on Wednesday evening. You started to hear more senators talking about doing this on a bipartisan basis which is something that the president has not said. The president has been even in hinting that it might not pass. And if not, oh, well, we'll let Obamacare collapse on its own. The president has been overtly partisan in every way. So it you are starting to see some fault lines, right, where the senators are maybe carving out some more independence. Susan Collins spoke more forcefully today than I've ever heard her speak about anything when she said tweaking is not going to do it for me. I have serious concerns. We should have done this on a bipartisan basis from the beginning. So I think all that's going to be interesting to watch. The other thing that I think is going to be interesting to watch is whether GOP leaders have town halls over the recess Mm -hmm. and how much constituent engagement they do. Um, I also just want to say, I was thinking about this about with regards to Susan Collins and how she's sort of become such the face of this issue. And I was thinking about Angus King up there at the hearings, like Maine is well represented. What are they doing mm-hmm. up in Maine? Do they have campaign finance reform laws in Maine? I need to know these things. I would love to hear from listeners in Maine about that too, because I think there is a real sense of commitment to the state. Alaska has the same thing. Anytime you hear Lisa Murkowski talk about 
representing Alaska, you can tell that she means it. And I don't, I appreciate Rand Paul for his strengths and see his flaws as well. I don't ever think, boy, Kentucky is on Rand Paul's mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. I totally agree about that. But you really see that with Maine and Alaska. Yeah, what are they doing up there, man? Share, share the, share the wisdom, Maine listeners, because you are, and Alaska, also, again, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, please come on Pantsy Politics. Yes, please. So we wanted to talk about all of the incredible feedback that we received from our healthcare episode, and we'll do that next. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, 
H-E-L-P.com slash Pansy. So before we start on healthcare, we want to talk about our intro. We're back to the classic again, back again. <laughs> we've, we've deviated a couple times from our classic intro and we're back to Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. But we had so much great feedback and so many good ideas from people. People on Twitter suggested um, center of the right or right of center, left of center, which I really liked. And there was a lot of just really cool suggestions. I also wanted to share um Kiara, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. She said, I'm not really sure if this is a good idea. You can totally ignore it. But she said she suggested like this is Sarah and I'm and you could say how you're feeling about politics that day. Hopeful, surprise, outrage or whatever. And she said, I thought of this because I really had a hard time pigeonholing my own political views recently. Do either of you guys speak Spanish? In Spanish, there are two verbs for to be, estar and ser. I hope I'm saying that right. Estar is for feeling slash location, whereas ser is for fixed identity. These days, whenever I talk about myself in political terms, I feel like I'm always using estar and never ser. I find myself saying I'm disappointed rather than I am liberal, conservative, moderate. I mean, I'm not even sure what it means to say I'm moderate anymore. Does that make even does that make me an establishment Democrat, a Kasich supporting Republican? Or are Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski the only two people in the world who currently lay claim to that title? Just kidding, sort of, because those are the only ones I feel like I'm hearing about right now. I know this option could be too challenging. Sometimes it's hard to describe how you feel in just a few words. Just thought I would throw that out there since you asked for suggestions. I just love that um, description of Spanish and her struggle, and I thought that was so great. I thought we had to share it. I thought that was great, too. I want to thank everyone for their patience with me on this, and especially you, Sarah, because I know that this topic (laughs) has made me a real pain of a co-host. (laughs) I just always want to be accurate, especially for new listeners, because I know that if you're tuning in for the first time and you hear right and left, that's going to mean something different to you than the people who've been with us from the beginning. So it's tough, but I think that I've just given up and said, all right, people like from the right and the left, let's do it. Give the people what they want. (laughs) Give the people what they want. So we also wanted to share some feedback Michael sent us about our discussion about Pride Month and gayborhoods. Um, and he made a really good point that sometimes the discussion of gay rights really sort of begins and ends with marriage. And Beth, um, he talked about Beth expressing her surprise that people, um, still didn't support gay adoption and other gay rights issues. And he said, I grew up in Northern Virginia right around the time it started to become bluer. Even so, I have zero protections in my home state when it comes to employment or housing. The amount of people, including my own parents who didn't know this until I told them is a bit astounding to me. Unfortunately, I think we as social liberals, as LGBT activists, focus too myopically on marriage equality when I could get married on Tuesday and fired for it on Wednesday. I honestly think issues like this is what pushed LGBT people into urban clusters, which tend to have stricter laws protecting employment and housing. The last thing I want to add, which seems incredibly relevant, is that there is a gay pay gap. One incredible problem with gentrification of urban areas, including gay neighborhoods, is that it can price out the people who brought the culture to the neighborhood. I would be willing to bet that a lot of the pricing issues is that even with more job opportunities, the pay is still subpar. I thought that was a really good point. And now Kentucky does not have um, LGBT protections for employment and housing. That is a huge problem. We should have that on the federal level. We should have that in every state. You should not be able to be fired or discriminated against because your sexuality. And I look forward to the day that that is a protected class. It doesn't seem hard. It's, it seems like we should we should just do that. You know, yeah. a lot of employers choose to put that in their um, statements about equal opportunity hiring anyway. And it would be great to just kind of move past 
saying that we're, we're not protecting this class of people. Well, and Kentucky was in the news recently um, with regards to this issue, and I wanted to bring that up really quick because California has now um, said that it will not allow state paid travel or state employees to travel to Kentucky because my state senator, Danny Carroll, introduced in legislation that was passed that protects um, Christian groups. It does a lot of things. It allows like sort of the teaching of Bible in classrooms as part of history, but it also gives um, Christian student groups total control over their internal management, which many have mean, um, taken to mean that they could discriminate against LGBT students. And because LGBT students do not have any equivalent protections, um, it's hugely problematic. So that's something we're dealing with right here in Kentucky. It's very frustrating. One of the other things the Supreme Court did this week, the Supreme Court did a number of significant things this week, but one of them was to decide to take the case of the baker in Colorado who does Mm -hmm. not want to bake cakes for weddings uh, that do not fit his description of marriage. And so we will have a high court ruling on baking cakes, which is just really difficult for me to say out loud. Oh, I hope they throw some jokes in there. Although Scalia was the one you could really depend on for the like sort of puns, plan words, jokes. So we'll see who picks up that mantle. It would be fascinating to hear Scalia's opinion on the cake baking case. I was thinking a lot about the peyote case because I think it was on the media or United States of Anxiety. I can't remember which one that did an episode about religious freedom laws and how those originated from the Supreme Court's decision about a Native American person who I think tested positive on a drug screen because he had been using peyote. And he said it was part of a religious ceremony and that it shouldn't be criminal for him to use it because it was part of his religion. And the Supreme Court said, nope, still a controlled substance and your religious freedom only goes so far. And, you know, that's the point at which on a bipartisan basis, these religious freedom laws started popping up. And just thinking about the unintended consequences of that made me think about what what's an opinion about the cake going to look like that that manages to not have a lot of unintended consequences. I'm very stuck in the Supreme Court mode right now, as you can probably tell. I'll try to move on. <laughs> well, so we want to get dive. We want to get started, dive in, whatever you want to call it, into the medical uh, healthcare follow up from our episode on Tuesday. First of all, you guys were. So incredibly kind and encouraging and supportive about our discussion that sort of veered off into philosophy and life and death. And we'll try to do more of that because you guys really, really liked it. (laughs) So I have this new thing. This is a total side note. I'm trying to do lots of little things that just make me think in a more positive way and that make things that are small um, less oppressive. Like sometimes the oppression of the mundane kind of gets me down. So one of the things I've been doing is, um, where are you, Sarah, in your love of ABBA on a scale of zero to 10? Oh, I love ABBA. I used to wear out ABBA gold, the like collection my stepdad had on CD. So big fan, big love ABBA, love ABBA. So what I have found is that if I, in my head, read email to the tune of an ABBA song, my day (laughs) is much, much better. And so my favorite thing, because we get so many messages that say thank you for the nuance, that I'm always like, thank you for the nuance. And it's the best thing in the world. <laughs> anyway, so I love that about this episode. So there were a couple of people uh, that emailed us with some pushback on things we said. And a couple of the issues were just like we were talking quickly. We were trying to make points. And I didn't. we didn't fully flesh out the point we were trying to make. So I don't want to be dismissive about some of the stories or points we made. And I wanted to follow up on a few of those. 
witch hunting on Twitter um, really did sort of a great Twitter thread about, you know, our point that sometimes you need to just like people need skin in the game because we're getting tested too easily. But sometimes she had an, an ongoing chronic issue that she kept trying to deal with on her own. And it turned out to be very serious. And she wanted to make sure and make the point that, you know, I told a story about my probably would have had my gallbladder taken out. So I just wanted to expand on that story a little bit. I was having very bad stomach pains and I went to the doctor. It This was not over a month or year period. This was like two weeks. In the two weeks I was putting off trying to find out how much the gallbladder test would be, my mother was like, hey, by the way, I used to have those exact same symptoms when I took ibuprofen. And I was at the time taking uncoated, like huge ibuprofen pills I'd got for something else and chopping them in half. And when I stopped doing that, the symptoms went away. And so I just wanted to be clear that like, this was not like an ongoing chronic problem that I was like, I'll just push through. It was like a, a pretty um, acute symptom that I was able to narrow down quickly. I just think that if, you know, if I didn't have my mom or I didn't have anybody access to um, history, or if I just said, yeah, I'll go over there and get the test right now. I'm pretty confident that they probably, I, I don't think anybody's gallbladders are probably in great shape. And they probably would have been like, yeah, it's got some sludge. Let's take it out. So, but, but know your own body, go get help. If you have chronic conditions, just wanted to clarify that point. Well, and if you don't know, it's fine to err on the side of caution. I think you just have to ask lots of questions and think deeply about it. I ended up in college having a surgery that was an exploratory surgery related to stomach pain. And I look back on that with such regret And I think it was just that I was having this persistent stomach pain. I was vomiting every single day. And my gynecologist tried a number of things, including birth control of every variety with me to make these issues get better. And I just think what was happening was a trauma issue, not a physiological. I think it was a physiological response to trauma that could not be treated physiologically. You know what? I had the same thing in college. I had these like terrible vomiting, bad stomach pains. And this is where I learned where there are certain areas of the body that they're really just guessing. And the stomach is most certainly one of them. Cause I went to the ER a couple of times and even on my ER checkout papers, they were like, by the way, we don't really ever know what causes abdominal pain. (laughs) And so whatever we told you is a best guess. I mean, I feel like that language was basically on my checkout papers. And I had the issue, I had these sort of, and I tried to figure out if it was food, but they sort of just went away. I wonder if it was like, I don't know. So I never thought about it like that. Our senior year of college, there was not one day that I didn't throw up. Oh my gosh. And Mine was not that bad. Mine would flare more than anything. I, I ended up having this exploratory surgery and the gynecologist comes back to me and he says, well, we found something on your fallopian tubes that looked like dew drops. I've never seen anything like it before. We've tested them. They're fine. It's not cancerous, but I scraped them off just in case, but I don't know what that's going to do to you in terms of reproduction. What? And so I didn't know until I got married and we said, maybe let's have a baby. And I was pregnant in a second that I could have a baby. Like it was always an open question for me because of the surgery that did me no good, that changed nothing about my vomiting situation. And that kind of made me feel like an idiot. And I don't blame him. He was doing, you know, what he knew to do and what he was trained to do. And this is something I wanted to make the point because we also received feedback from Laura, who's a family doctor 
who clearly has her patient's best interests at heart. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is a conversation we've had about police officers and about teachers, you know, and politicians like recognizing some systemic issues doesn't, isn't intended to insult the people who work within those systems, because most certainly there are fantastic people working within those systems. And it also recognizing outcomes of systems doesn't always have anything to do with the intent, right? Like we're not saying that we think doctors are out to maximize their incomes or that they're deliberately trying to rip patients off. We are saying that patients need to take more responsibility for their own care. Mm -hmm. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin. I take a probiotic. And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, 
Whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code podcast 15. Yeah, and because here's a here, I'm going to call her Dr. Laura just because I, like I can. Um, she said, good medicine is both an art and a science. Trying to simplify it to a transactional business is naive and condescending. And I understand where she's coming from, but I emailed her back and I said, but the truth is, too, saying that it's not transactional when people are making, you know, there are doctors in my town that make $600,000 a year. And when you're making that level of income and some that make more, like, Money becomes a part of the equation. There's just no way it doesn't psychologically. I believe that to be true. And, you know, I also think what you just said is something I've been thinking a lot about with regards to intent. I've been thinking about it with regards to police shootings and the Philando Castile and the, the legal standard we were talking about, which is if the officer reasonably feared for his life. Well, isn't that circular? If you shoot somebody, clearly you feel for, you feared for your life, right? Or you also wouldn't have fired the gun. You know, it's sort of like that kind of situation. And I was thinking about that with regards to, I listened to a really great podcast on corruption and how we sort of decide well, there's only corruption in politics if it's, if it's quid pro pro. If you really intended to exchange that vote for money. It's like in America, we've decided that the only, I'm noticing this theme, this theme of the only way to really get after something bad is if the people that are doing it admitted that they really intended to screw everybody. Like that seems like a really bad standard to go by. And I don't know if it's because, um, we have such an individualistic culture. I don't know if it comes from sort of freedom of speech. I don't know, but I'm just feeling like I'm picking up on this thread over and over and over again that, well, unless you, you know, wrote out a big and long letter about how you intended to break the law and do everything wrong and harm people, then we really can't blame you. I don't know where that's coming from. I think that we are always on offense or defense and it is mm -hmm. preventing us from doing any real problem solving. An example of this that I, for some reason, keep thinking about in connection with our healthcare discussion. So I work in the people side of a law firm and a complaint that we get all the time and that I think people in all kinds of organizations get all the time is that communication isn't good enough. And I, used to take that extremely personally because I felt like it was my job to be sort of the organization's press secretary. My mm. communication kind of belonged to me. And I have, so I found myself getting defensive all the time. Somebody would say communication is bad. And I would just think, Oh, you don't know X, Y, and Z I do all these things. You don't pay attention. And I have really learned that we're all people and communication can always be better. And someone not knowing something doesn't mean that I didn't do my job. It means here's a chance for me to learn something that I didn't know yesterday. And so now anytime someone says communication is bad around here, I always say, thank you for telling me that. What don't you know that you need to know? And how can I tell you in a way that will get your attention? And it totally changes the dynamic. But we, that's taken a lot of work for me. And I don't have a mm. lot of models of that happening around me. 
And I think that whenever we talk about schools or police or doctors, we get a lot of pushback whenever we talk about birth, you know, and and we had one of these messages. It was a really vulnerable, awesome comment from Amy about how when you talk about giving birth without medication, it it puts women who choose medication on the defensive because it sounds like you're saying here's a superior choice and here's an inferior choice. And I think that part of being nuanced is recognizing that the existence of a problem creates an opportunity for change instead of blame. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the, the birth conversation in particular, I thought Amy's message was so great and so kind and open hearted. I mean, I think there's a lot there. I think that what I was, the first thing I always tell people when I talk about my home birth in particular is like, look, this is not about me thinking you're a bad person for choosing a hospital. This is about, I don't feel safe in a hospital. Some people only feel safe in a hospital. You do you, right? So that, I think that's a, you know, that's a big component of that. And that birth conversation is like, where do you feel safe? And I think the other thing with regards in particular to the pain relief and epidurals and all that business is there's just, we make birth about the pain and there's about, I don't know, a universe worth of other things to consider there. Um, not just your, the pain and whether you're killing the pain or how you're killing the pain, you know, literally just, we could go on. I could make a list for you a mile long. Like what kind of hips do you have? How were you born? Did your water break? Did it not break? Were you induced? I mean, like there's just so many things to talk about and so many things to consider. And it doesn't need to be a judgment on anybody's personality or strength or, you know, anything of that nature. Do I wear my three nine pound births naturally as a badge of honor and whip it out when I need to um, impress people? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Don't feel bad about that. But that doesn't mean that I, I think that's the other thing is like we have to allow room for people to be sort of have an opinion and be proud of their own experience or feel strongly about something without making it a judgment. I think everything is taken so binary. If you're for it, you have to be against it. And that doesn't necessarily have to be true. Well, I appreciated Amy's message too. And Mm -hmm. I I particularly thought it was, was really well said when she was like, this is what I needed then to be the best version of me. I have no fight with that. And, and there is a lot to this. Whenever people say to me, yeah, I don't know how I'm going to get birth. I'm just going to see how it goes. I'm always in my mind, like, here's what's going to happen. And it's not (laughs) an unmedicated birth, right? Because you do have to, because of the way we talk about birth in our culture and because the conversations about birth are really only about like, what's your baby bump look like? How'd you decorate Mm -hmm. your nursery? Oh my mm-hmm. God, giving labor is going to, you know, being in labor is going to suck. And then, uh, let me scare the shit out of afterward? you in every way I possibly can. Right. Let me tell you nothing about what's going to happen to your body in this process. And by the way, can I reenact the story of the baby's cord being wrapped around its neck for you? I mean, we really do frame it up culturally in ways that are fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but we don't prepare each other as women. I think very effectively Mm -hmm. for what this experience can be and will be. I remember after our children were born, we we had children really close together. One of my friends called me and said like, 
why did no one tell us about this part? This mm-hmm. after part. There's a lot to this after part that no one talks about. And, yeah. you know, so I think just the, the conversation around it puts people in all kinds of different places. And I have no judgment for that. I well, do and think- let me just say this too. And in the same way that I think the way we talk about healthcare is a manifestation of some of the problems we have with our health and life and death itself. I think the way we talk about birth is the manifestation of some of the problems we have with motherhood and parenthood generally. It's like a little microcosm. It's the not, we don't prepare people. We focus on the wrong things. We let people abdicate decision making. We people don't think through what kind of outcomes do I want? Like, and I don't mean that we're all, you know, terrible shitty parents, but like the expectations, the education, the focus is like all out of whack, not just on birth, but in parenting generally. And, you know, for me, that was, I guess I just sort of, I, I felt that I felt like, you know, I'm a symbolic, I'm a symbolism person. I also really like beginnings. Like I love fresh beginnings. I love a school year. I love a new year's. I just like the start of every season, every month. Hell, I like Sunday nights because it's Monday and you get to start fresh. I like beginnings. And so there was just a part of me that like, got like, this is the beginning of me as a parent, as a mother. And I want it to reflect that. And I just saw so many of my friends starting off parenthood completely and totally traumatized, physically traumatized, emotionally traumatized by their experience giving birth. And I did not want that. I had luckily had the time, the resources, a supportive community, lots of things, not like, oh, I don't know, legal home birth midwives, which we don't have in Kentucky. So I won't, I wasn't swimming in resources, but you know, I had a lot of resources to say, okay, if I, I don't want to feel like that on my first moment as a parent. So how can I, what can I do to make sure I start parenthood in a different way? And so I think that that's, you know, that's the big, for me, that's why I get so passionate about birth is because the idea that you would start this most important journey, this most, you know, one of the most powerful identity changes we experience as human beings going from some, going from, um, not having children to having children and being a parent that it should be, you know, it's, it's like all this sort of, I guess it is sort of like what we were talking about before all these different important changes from where, from when a girl starts her period to adolescence, to, um, adulthood to, we don't have a lot of sort of important rituals or moments where instead of where we just, you know, dress it up and celebrate. We like to, we like to throw a part. We like to throw a good party and we sure as hell like to buy dish, but we don't have a lot of like really great rituals to say, this is an important part of your life. This is a really important part of your life. And this is going to change and everything before is gone and everything now is different and new. And so let's, let's give that the importance and the emphasis that it deserves. And that's what I wanted from birth. And that's why I'm so passionate when I talk about it. And it's not wrong for it to be an important part of your life, not just the babies. Mm-hmm. It, it, I think it's healthier for you to see it that way, right? That that it's a beginning for both of us. And I will be a, a different kind of parent um, for maintaining some focus on what this means for me. I had a different reason for approaching birth the way I did. I think that trauma that was living in my body during college that came out and vomiting every day. I mean, did Um, you just stop vomiting one day? Sorry. I'm a little stuck on this. It took me a long time and, um, a lot of 
yoga and talking therapy and finding some things to focus on. And I still, when I experience a lot of sadness or anxiety or something, that's how it manifests. This is just another way in which we are totally complimentary because I never, ever vomit. Well, I'm so glad for you that you don't. No, don't. It's awful. Sometimes you're just like, oh God, I just want to throw up, but I don't. Oh, I mean, I can think about it and throw up. It's, um, it's not great, but so well, for this me, episode has really taken a turn. It has. <laughs> Sorry for the too much information. I never thought I'd be discussing my fallopian tubes on a podcast either, but here we are. That's um, definitely be our Instagram pull quote. But what I learned is that I was, I was physically, um, relieving things that I wasn't emotionally working through. And I became convinced that I want to be unafraid to feel anything. And this is something Brooke Castillo says that I love that once you decide that you are willing to feel anything, you're willing to feel pain, you're willing to grieve, you're willing to be embarrassed. You're, you know, once you say I will feel anything, then you can live a totally different life than when you're unwilling to feel things. And That does not mean that if you have a chronic condition where you are daily in a state of unbearable pain, you should not take care of that pain. You know, I thought about that after I said, I don't like to mask symptoms on the the last episode. There are certainly people who absolutely should because they cannot live otherwise. And I have no judgment about that whatsoever. I, I do want to be willing to feel anything that I can meet. And birth was about crossing that threshold for me. I wanted to say, I am willing to feel whatever this brings. And I found it to be just incredibly empowering because of that. And I think that, um, does relate to my feelings about death. Like I am, I am willing to die, right? I'm going to anyway, so I might as well be open to it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I'm willing to whatever that looks like. I thought that this is a good segue into, we got one of, one of my, I think this might be one of my most favorite messages we've ever gotten from Ashley. And she said, please, for the sake of everything, good, hell, even bad, please keep talking about birth, death, and the idea of being uncomfortable and feeling being okay. And not just okay, but important. I'm not coming from a place that practices the sentiment. I'm the one who went into labor and said, I'm no hero. Give me the drugs. I don't even find it acceptable that I get too hot in the summer. I actually hope you're paying close attention to my no air conditioning journey, by the way. That's how uncomfortable I am with being uncomfortable, but I want to be there with you too. I need to be there with you too. We just don't avoid the bad stuff. We avoid feeling the good stuff too. So true. And it's just, I love that message. And it's so true. That's what you, it's so hard to explain to people that like the worst, every time you feel something that feels like the worst, most terrible, awful thing you've ever felt in your life you open up the equivalent on the other side of the spectrum and that is worth it. You know, it just, and I don't know how it works and I don't know how to explain it except for, um, the sheer it gets the bigger capacity you've had for things to be great. So that's one of my favorite things about you and that I admire the most is the emotional range that you express because it's all in all of us, you know, and, I keep trying to be more open to, you know, I will feel anything. And also I will let people know that I'm feeling those things because I don't need to apologize for what's happening with me. Well, and it's, but it's, 
Thank you. First of all, thank you. Um, it doesn't feel like something I work at. It just feels like something I was born with. Lots of feelings. I'm an only child. I'm a redhead. It's just what else other choice did I have? Um, but I do think I was thinking today about, um, I was actually thinking about our book club book, which I really, really highly recommend the righteous mind. And he sort of talks about, he has this, um, metaphor of an ele- the person riding the elephant. And he says our sort of reasoning capacity is this little bitty person sitting on top of this huge elephant, which is sort of our intuitive sense and our emotions. And, you know, I've, I'm, I think that sort of my emotion, my emotional range is a real gift, but only because in the last like five, 10 years, have I just, dis- have I realized that like, just because I feel it doesn't mean it's true, which is like a totally other, because as you can imagine, with the intensity of emotion I am capable of before I realized that <laughs> everything I felt was not true. I like to say emotions are important or emotions are relevant, but they are not reality. And before I realized that, like, I mean, it was just a damn roller coaster all the time. It was exhausting and it's so much better now. You know, I'm not transcendent. I haven't reached a higher plane or anything yet. Um, I was reading our favorite Richard Rohr email recently, and he said, like, you're not in contemplation if your inner thoughts are still about you. And I was like, oh, no, I'm failing. Sorry, Richard. There's still a lot about me. Um, But I think that 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 was such a huge breakthrough for me, because I think that emotions and feelings are, you know, they can get away from you and they're only as instructive and um, self-reflecting as you sort of let them be. and before I sort of had that breakthrough of like, every time I fight with my husband, he doesn't not love me and want to divorce me, which is literally what I thought for probably the first 10 years of our marriage really, really helped me level things out a little bit. Well, not to be a groupie, but this is another Brooke Castillo thing I love where she talks about when you're stuck on something like that, you know, you write down what are the facts that any person looking at this would see and separate that from what am I thinking about the facts? Mm-hmm. Because what I think about the facts creates my feelings about them. And then how I feel about it determines how I act. Yeah. And I think when, like, that's been a really helpful construct for me when I find myself getting hung up somewhere. We got an enormous amount of other fantastic feedback, but this is no longer a briefcase. So we mm. should say to you guys, thank you so much for everything that you've sent us. We'll share more of this in our newsletter and maybe revisit some of it next week as well. Again, thank you so much for supporting the show in every way. You can check out patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, or just click on become a supporter on our website, pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. Your reviews mean the world to us, as does your recommendation to other people. We'll be back with you on Tuesday for another episode. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. 